Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Welcome to episode 42 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. Thank you, as always, for pressing play and taking the time to listen to me today. And on today's show, we have the returning David Eaton of numerous independent wrestling companies in England um, coming back to take the next step, I guess, through our review of WWF pay-per-views in the year 2000. We have reached Judgment Day which was a big, important show because it's the first time David and I, on our little journey through 2000, will see The Undertaker returning as he debuts his American Badass gimmick for the first time. Um, I enjoyed watching the pay-per-view back and ultimately I enjoyed discussing it with David. I hope everyone else enjoys too. Um, any thoughts, questions, memories, or anything like that of these times as we look through the year 2000 with David, and ultimately we start looking through the year 1993 with Simon Quest also, please don't hesitate to contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever. Um, you can find us by searching at SJP Wrestling Pod. Um, okay, that's kind of all I have to say today. Let's get straight to it. Our discussion with David Eaton, and I look back on Judgment Day. 2000. As always, thank you for listening. Hello, brother. This is NWA WCW Enhancement Talent, Randy Hogan, baby. Being in the ring with the Road Warriors, Vader, Abdul the Butcher, Midnight Express and all them guys. Let me tell you, it was dang rough. But not as rough as listening to Cyan Mags on that chain wrestling show, brother. What you gonna do when this pair of fools, Cy Mag and Chain Wrestling Brother, runs wild on you? David Eaton, welcome back to the SJP Wrestling Podcast once again as we continue our look through the year 2000. How are you doing today, mate? Hello. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Yes. Um, looking forward to getting back out and about over the next couple of months, hopefully, with things opening up again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, I think that the the light at the end of the tunnel draws even closer. I suppose is the way to look at it potentially. Um, and speaking about getting out and about, you're you're out and about back in a wrestling ring very soon, aren't you? Yeah, next weekend. Wow, that came about quick, didn't it? So yeah, EVM Wrestling in Evesham, um, running their first show. About they they ran their first show ever, like in the in the gap between lockdowns in November of 2020. Um, yeah. And it's like, it was limited to like 30 people fully within the rules and everything. Um, and there's going to be a similar thing this time. I think is probably, I think sold out already, but um, yeah, happening next weekend in Evesham back in the ring for the first time in what, six months, probably. You've got to be looking forward to that, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've been training a bit, getting back in sort of shaking the rust off. Um, yeah. Very much looking forward to it. 
And it's, as far as I'm aware, it's 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 the main event, Dave, isn't it? Oh, yes. Well, now that you mention it, yes, it is. Yeah, um, top guy. Yeah. Top guy. <laughs> facing, um, facing Roddy um, for their heavyweight championship. I'm not a heavyweight. I've never been a heavyweight, but these opportunities occasionally come to you, regardless of your size. Um, so, yeah, very much looking forward to that. Um, and it's the, the first ever match for their for their heavyweight title to, to determine their first champion. So we will see, see what happens. Yeah, the main guy from EVM, wrestling in Evesham um, Kurt Healy that's his name isn't it um, I think his name's yeah bring it up now there it is yeah Kurt Healy yes yep yeah uh, he was on the show um, quite a way back now episode 24 okay. so if anyone wants to have a little listen to that um, we were discussing starting up a wrestling company and the challenges faced when you do that but also the the insanity of starting up a wrestling company during a global <laughs> pandemic it's a really really interesting um interesting conversation dave i'm sure everyone else wants to have a listen yeah and enjoy it too and Absolutely. just the craziness story um, behind sort of that show and putting it all together and it's, it is a really good listen yeah, just craziness, like losing his main event the day before and <laughs> yeah. COVID and oh, just, yeah, I recommend people go back and have a listen. It was a really interesting chat. Um, as has been every time I've spoken to you, Dave, and I just want to throw a quick shout out to somebody. Bear with me just a second. I want to make sure I get his name right. Um, we have had somebody who has recently discovered the show um, named Steve-O at total Steve-O on Twitter. Um, he's been downloading lots of episodes, listening back and giving us loads of great feedback on the show's social media accounts. So I want to say hi to Steve. Thank you very much for the support. It is hugely appreciated um, and keep listening, mate. Hopefully we can uh, continue entertaining you. I really, really appreciate the support, buddy. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you for the kind words as well. It's been um, you, you dragged me back on Twitter. I didn't have it on my phone for a, probably a couple of months. I'd accidentally removed it and not. I think I wiped my phone or something and didn't install it again. So um, <laughs> Simon pushed me back towards like, hey, look at this feedback. It got me to install Twitter again. So I might check check it a bit more regularly now as well. Ah, there we go. Um, okay, our, our next step along the year two thousand in the WWF is Judgment Day two thousand. Um, this aired initially from the Freedom Hall in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, the 21st of May 2000 it aired. So we're, as of recording, a day out for the uh, 21st anniversary of it, I guess. What's it today? The 22nd date of recording. So yeah, yesterday would have been the 21st anniversary of the show. Um, look at it's, it's almost like I planned this, isn't it? <laughs> I think we just talked to, about just this a to, bit last time, didn't we? Yeah, just to be clear, I do not plan this at all. That's just complete fluke. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I quite enjoyed this, Dave. I thought this wasn't a bad show, to be honest. What were your initial thoughts? It was pretty good, wasn't it? It was um, a bit of a one-match card, but it kind of had to be because that match was going to be like a third or more of the entire show. If it's a three-hour pay-per-view, then um, actually goes about... 245 doesn't it something like that yeah something like that, yeah. Um, so we got the rock and triple h in the iron man match that's the one that i was really looking forward to watching because i was like okay this is the start of those rock and triple h matches like properly without too much of like other stuff other people involved mm-hmm. the entire time um so i was looking forward to that one um benoit and jericho in a submission match that seemed like it'd be a good watch so i was looking forward to that one um and too cool again in the opener as well i knew they put on a good show 
Yeah, yeah. And we'll get to that in just a sec. But a couple of things I wanted to cover beforehand. Um, the attendance on that night was 16,800 and a bit of change, which I think was a sellout. I'm afraid I couldn't find the details of how much, how many people that arena took back in those days, because I think it's been partially rebuilt now. So the information wasn't easy for me to find. Um, and at a buy rate of 420,000, which again is great numbers when you consider how much these pay per views cost back in that day. Mm-hmm. Um, the open for the show. I, I thought was was awesome. Just obviously hyping up the one hour Iron Man main event. Yeah, the open was like saying how many planes take off in an hour, how many children are born in an hour. It, I thought it was really good. And I don't know if it was, but it felt like it was a really short video package for the beginning of a pay per view. Yeah, it wasn't the longest. I mean, I, I suppose the last one we watched was the UK pay per view, wasn't it? The Insurrection yeah. Show. Now that didn't have a, a, hardly anything in the way of an intro at all. Um, so by comparison, I guess this one seemed, uh, uh, you know, extended and long and brilliant. When you actually look at it in comparison to say the Rumble or No Way Out, yeah, it is. It is a touch shorter, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, and it focused just on the one match, didn't it? So I was like, okay, um, normally with these things, I sit down and go, okay, the, the opening video package is going to tell me sort of most of the key points of what I'm going to see. Um, and I, I wish I was like, oh, it's just, just the Iron Man match, which, like, and it, and it did it in a way that kind of left me wanting to see it as well, because it was yeah. like, it was just the two going back and forth with their little quotes. Um, and yeah, I thought, I thought it was great, and it actually did more to make me feel a bit hyped for watching the main event than a longer like here's what's happened in the last month and a half sort of normal video package would yeah no that totally makes sense um the show opens uh basically with with vince mcmahon talking to his his group his his faction as he refers to the man's backstage which it sounded weird vince referring to his own group as a faction on camera <laughs> that, that that sounded strange to me but you basically got um Triple H and, and Stephanie, and then the remnants of what's left of DX are in this group as well. And good old Gerald Briscoe turns up and is told to go and get some coffee. Um, which I thought Gerald Briscoe throughout this show, he's, he, oh. he's the hardcore champion and he keeps popping up throughout the show at various moments. I thought he was comedy gold. He's the MVP of this show, I think. Yeah. Oh, for my part, like he kept me thoroughly entertained throughout. I really enjoyed it. I mean, bear in mind, he's doing all this comedy stuff. He's soaked in coffee. He gets a load of popcorn dumped on him at one stage. He, he's jumping at his own reflection. He's punching a mirror and hurting his hand and all this silly nonsense. <laughs> this is Gerald Briscoe, for crying out loud. This is like an NWA Hall of Famer. This is an NWA, ex-NWA world champion, I believe. Definitely an NWA tag champion. And he's walking around with that knackered old hardcore title belt on, getting coffee thrown all over him. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> and that's one of those things, right, where if you know all of that, then it just makes it better. But you yeah. don't need to know any of that for it to be funny and entertaining. Um, which sort of like, obviously watching it now, I'm like, oh, it's Gerald Briscoe, accolades and stuff. But at the time, obviously, this is my fifth pay-per-view. Um, that yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Um, and I'm just like, oh, this guy's funny. <laughs> <laughs> any, any funny, any entertaining. No Patterson, uh, though, this time, was there? No. What was up with that? I don't know. I don't know if he... That they said he missed his flight. Maybe that was actually the truth. He had just missed his flight. Or one of the few times they just tell the truth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know he resurfaces very soon, and we get to see him involved in some silliness with Briscoe over the hardcore title and so on in the upcoming shows. So, but I, I like Patterson. The guy he cracks me up whenever he was on screen. Just always made me laugh. Even back in the day, um, sort of before he was 
one of McMahon's stooges, I guess. And he was just one of those backstage faces that would come out and yeah. split up fights and so on. And he'd be dressed in a full suit, but with his <laughs> trainers on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> just it just yeah. little things like that. I don't know why it tickled me. Um That's a trend have... set. People do that all the time now. Sorry? He's a trend setter. People do that all the time now. There you go. Suits and trainers. Twenty one years ahead of his time. <laughs> <laughs> um we also have Shawn Michaels walking around backstage in in an outfit that I'd never really want to see another man wearing. I'm not going to lie. I was a bit, I was a bit concerned that if you know, if he stumbled, something might fall out. If you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the classic Sean Ref outfit, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I'm saying that because I'm a big fat, sweaty bloke. If I if I was trim and slim and had a body like Shawn Michaels, I'd probably wear stuff like that too. So there we go. <laughs> Um, he, yeah, he's walking around backstage, Shawn Michaels, looking for The Rock, looking for Triple H, and so on. Uh, and then we get our first sights of the the actual wrestlers who are about to compete in the opener. Um, we have Kurt Angle coming out, talking about teenage girls thinking he is all that, as he says, which, <laughs> which cracked me up. Um, Edge and Christian come out as well, and, and it's the famous scene that there's quite a few... Um, pictures of this, or, or like, I suppose what they called uh, gifs online, where yeah, like, yeah they're, they're sort of uh, edge with the the bad teeth and Christian playing. Um, is it a jug he's playing with the bottle or something like that? And yeah, it's the jug band, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, quite a, quite a funny moment, mocking where they are, sort of further down safe, I suppose. Um, so I did notice though that Kurt Angle seemed to almost stumble over his words a couple of times, and I, I thought that was really uncharacteristic of him. Really? I didn't notice that, but I was watching it quite late at night. <laughs> so <laughs> I I just missed it. Um but yeah, that would be a little like Angle's always been pretty slick. Um yeah. but yeah, I don't don't really know. Like it happens to everyone, doesn't it? Well definitely it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. It was a couple of occasions where he kind of just sort of stuttered or stumbled over his words, but I think I noticed it because of how well, we spoke we spoke previously on one of the shows how this is really early in Angle's career. Yeah. But he's so confident, so charismatic, and seems like he's been doing it forever. The fact that he is that good, I suppose, when you do get a little moment like this, it stands out because he is that good by comparison, I guess. Mm. Yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. Like if if you're used to someone being super slick and not missing a beat, then when they miss a beat, it's jarring, right? Um but yeah, I no, I wish I'd I wish I'd noticed. <laughs> it wasn't made anything major. I just all made a little note of it. That was all. Yeah. Um, our opener is the <sighs> the team of Edge and Christian and Kurt Angle, and they are facing Rikishi and Too Cool. Um, and once again, how big a pop do you Too Cool oh. get when their music hits? People love them at this point, right? Like yes. really, really love them, and for good reason. And they're in matching attire, so they deserve it even more this time. Those white and black squiggly pants were my favorite to call attire yeah and um grandmaster sexy with the chains while still wrestling yeah and the hat <laughs> and the, the i think the dreadlocks aren't real are they they're stitched into the hat i assume um I'm not sure i don't know couldn't tell you no i'm not 100 percent sure but either way he looks very unique shall we say and then of course you've got scotty too hot of his blonde hair just stood on end it's it's it's, a, it's quite the look isn't it <laughs> yeah and so this match is um it's it's very much there and it really does its job but it's like a it's like a house show match isn't it like they're just going in there and having fun yeah yeah definitely i mean it's 
just shy of 10 minutes and one of the notes i've got here is that it really does its job as an opener which i suppose is why we see too cool in in the opener or in early matches quite often so far haven't we in these events we've been covering because they do the job they, they get the crowd going they get the blood pumping i suppose um yeah i, I was quite surprised to be honest to see that rikishi and too cool team actually picked up the win I, I, yeah. I can't remember this first time, but I was assuming just just from watching it and knowing you know knowing the, the the characters involved, the players involved. I thought Edge and Christian and Kurt Angle would have picked up the win here. I've been conditioned by wrestling in the last ten years to believe that in no circumstances are the fun team going to pick up a win over a team containing a serious wrestler who might be main eventing at some point soon. Um, so I made I came to the same conclusion like way before so i was pleasantly surprised by the end yeah yeah i mean a couple of moments we have before before we get to the actual finish um at one stage we have the same uh i, I suppose what you i don't know what you'd call it the turnbuckle spot where um one of two call is sent towards the turnbuckles and their partner lies across the top rope to sort of cushion the blow which i, which I really enjoyed seeing I, I, we saw that last time as well with the hard yeah. yeah and i thought that's great it's such a clever little thing hmm. um Grandmaster Sexy's trousers come down. I'm not quite sure what was going on with that. <laughs> he did it deliberately. Did you know? Yeah, he sort of yeah. played with them a little bit, and then yeah, so, yeah, he um, he like undid and did a little like motion, and then like danced. It. Like it's just getting people to react to something funny, but like it's just one of those moments where they like they're filling time with yeah. stuff to get people up and wake them up and get them happy and in the mood to see some like see some wrestling. And they did like the whole thing was just fun, like end to end, like none of it was intricate none of it was particularly like special wrestling it was all fairly simple but it was well done really well done yeah um with, with his trousers coming down we get a line from jr saying that there's no tombstones in his underwear which was <laughs> lovely um rikishi gets tagged in to a, as big a pop as when two calls music hit. this guy is yeah. so popular um he ends up giving a stink face to Kerr Angle, and I'm I, I'm not gonna lie, that was that was deep. Angle really got in there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, it was, it was, wasn't it? Um, it wasn't good. <laughs> I don't know if there's much more to say about that, but yeah, yeah. like he's a, he's a trooper. Testament to Kurt Angle there for committing <laughs> to his art form. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a couple of worms from Scotty to Hottie. Uh, Rikishi no sells a DDT. That did annoy me a bit, to be honest. I, really? I understand. Yeah. Even with the, the Samoan head trope. See, that, that when you explain that makes more sense because everyone, of course, if you are of Samoan descent, your head is made of concrete. Obviously, that's just the way it works over there. Wrestling thing, right? But yeah. the just didn't explain it. So I, I could see why anyone watching it um, and probably me watching it at the time would be confused as heck as to why he just had his head driven into the floor and then popped up like and, yeah. and no sold it um but i i like assume that was what they were going for there it's just no one no one explained it and i think that was probably the issue ah there we go we'll blame jim ross <laughs> <laughs> it's just an old man shouting at cloud thing i think for me when people don't sell certain moves it makes me cross but i'm, I'm like i said i'm i'm an old man watching wrestling and when i see my daughter watching it it doesn't bother her so i guess she's the one to sort of um look at i suppose it's more aimed at her at times i guess um i think because this out. one was like just a bit of fun as well then they can kind of get away with it 
Um, I don't think I'd. I don't think I ever saw Rikishi do it in a serious match. I'm not sure I ever saw Rikishi do it again. Um, to be honest, but um, I've, I don't know. Um, it, because it was like a match that was like from end to end, like pop, bit of fun, spot, like just keep the crowd up, make them happy sort of thing, then you can get away with like little, effectively what is an in-joke, right, in the middle of a match. Like as long as everybody in the room is in on it, then you can get away with it. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, The ring bell is involved in the finish once again. On this occasion, though, nobody gets split open, do they, like we have (laughs) previously. (laughs) He's still swinging the bell at him though, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and Jim Ross actually says on commentary, "We need to get that um, that damn bell nailed down," which yeah. made me laugh because how many how many times have we seen that used in recent shows, Dave? It's every um, every show for the last three or four, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> um, basically, Grandmaster Sexy then comes off the top rope um, with a leg drop, which looked spectacular. I, I love a top rope leg drop, as we discussed before, um, and then puts Rikishi on top of edge, I think it was for the win. Uh, and again, the crowd popped for the result and they popped for the dancing as they should. Yeah. Just a good, a good, happy opener, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Just good. Like nothing special, just solid, but like really entertaining wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, after this, we have Shawn Michaels again with this time with Michael Cole. Um, and my wife actually came into the room at this stage. She sort of walked past the screen and went, Oh, Streif, look at that. Sean's even fighting his hairline at this time. Which <laughs> I was a little bit harsh, but <laughs> yeah. Um, it is, he, it's, um, it's starting to fade at this point though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Sean also says something that tickled me that people were, bear in mind how, how long ago this was 21 years. Um, people are talking about, on the internet and discussing his intentions for the world title match later on when he's guest referee, is he going to side with Triple H and so on? And he responds with, well, if it's on the internet, it must be true, which is something <laughs> that people are still using now, 21 years later. So I don't know why that made me smile, but it just did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's always been the case though, isn't it? Like particularly back then, like the internet was seen as something that just nerds had like in 2000, I think I'd, I was like, what, 13 years old, 14 years old, something like that. And we'd, we'd just got the internet and it was still dial up at that point. Um, so it wasn't common at all um, in sort of everybody's homes. So um, you can kind of get away with those, those jabs at stuff, can't you? Cause you're not attacking a large group of people. No, that's it. Um, we, we see Eddie Guerrero and China arrive in another, you know, spectacular looking car. Um, China's carrying a bunch of flowers or is handed a bunch of flowers, which will come into play later on, I guess. Um, then Malenko, uh, Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn appear. And uh, I mean, Malenko's a fantastic in-ring performer. I, I really enjoy it. Every time I see the guy wrestle, he, he does something that it makes me go, oh, that was good. Oh, that was, mm. you know, even if I've seen it before, he seems to have a way of doing things slightly different to others potentially. And Saturn's, you know, the, the same to a degree. His WCW stuff I really enjoyed as well. Mm-hmm. but talking isn't a, a strong point for either of these guys. I don't know. <laughs> no. Someone as charismatic as Eddie Guerrero, and then they walk on screen by comparison. You're just instantly seeing that maybe they're not, this isn't their forte, I guess. I mean, I guess it kind of plays into their favor for this as well. Cause they want Eddie to look like the star, right? right. So, um, going into this, if you've got 
and I wasn't really sure like this played out exactly as they wanted it to because the bit before didn't really feel like it uh, correlated with what happened as soon as they got in the ring immediately after. Um, so you had Dean like talking to Eddie and then Perry Saturn comes in, goes like, oh, don't suck up to him. Um, and then they kind of like look wearily or edgily at each other and then just sort of go off in their own separate directions. Um, and then they sort of, they do the entrances, they come out for the match and immediately they're double teaming Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically the, the next contest is for the European title. Um, and it's Eddie Guerrero, the defending champion facing Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn in a triple threat. But as you say there, Dave, Malenko and Saturn are working together quite early on. I mean, it doesn't last massively long, don't get me wrong, but they are working together nonetheless on Eddie Guerrero. So I totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, I just didn't think, like, if, if they were going to do that immediately, then why have the why why have them seem to not be on the same page and have no sort of indication that they've kind of made up in between? Mm. Like, it, it just sort of... It's one of those jarring things, I guess. That like you're led to believe something by the promo immediately before the match, and then the match starts. And oh, okay, my perception of that entire situation was entirely wrong. Um, I think the commentators like immediately picked up on that as well because I think Lawler, like as soon as they started working together, was like that won't last long. And I was yeah. like, okay, so you, like you you picked up on the fact that like this is like visually like a bit weird. Uh, no, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I, I quite enjoyed this match, to be honest. And uh, the only criticism I can really say of it is that I, I think it would have been beneficial, maybe, to have an extra minute or two tagged on the end. Yeah, I think you probably... Uh, or, or just, like, give it an extra couple of minutes for the whole thing. I think there were there were points at which they felt, it kind of felt like they were just rushing from one thing to the next. Yeah. Um, throughout sort of the entire thing. And they're all like trying to do each other's moves on each other, but it's all kind of like just, okay, this guy's down here. I'm going to do his move on him. And then, Oh, that gets broken up. And then immediately I'm going to do this guy's move on him. And like, it's, it felt like it was like a good idea that maybe wasn't executed in a way that kind of like made me understand why they were all trying to do each other's moves on each other, unless they were just doing it to antagonize. Um, yeah, and even yeah. then it didn't really come across in the story that they'd like need to to do that i i don't know it it kind of it felt a little bit off to me towards the end and like a little bit like rushed and random in places yeah i mean i mean one thing i i do have a note on here is that the texas cloverleaf is awesome i love that submission <laughs> move i don't care who does it i think it just looks brilliant i've always been a fan of that but um the finish comes when when china basically hits Perry Saturn on the outside with um, a bunch of flowers, which we find out shortly has a lead pipe inside, um, which of course everyone has, you know, quite regularly just carries around a lead pipe with them, don't they? So it's good. <laughs> um, they, she then tries to hit Malenko, who blocks it, but ends up sort of falling and hitting his face on the flowers that are on the floor, and that effectively semi knocks him out for Eddie to cover him. I thought that was really good. To be yeah, fair. that was, like, that, that, was good. That, that they didn't just have China hit Malenko with it, but like they had Malenko to catch it, take it away, and then she tripped his legs and he hit his face on it. Then I thought that was great. Um, I think the lead pipe Eddie's used before, isn't he? Like there was, it, it was that same like 
piece of metal with the tread plate on it in a um in a cylinder type shape that they were selling as like a lead pipe that um was used oh, i can't remember which one but a couple of months ago okay okay well yeah i mean they, they they make reference on commentary to it as well don't they so it's obviously something that he's synonymous with by this stage i guess um i agree with you the way the way the finish was done with melenko and the flowers or the pipe or whatever was clever but going back to to what we said when we started talking about this match and that it potentially could have needed an extra minute or two it did kind of seem to come almost out of nowhere that all of a sudden china was involved and then the match was done yeah yeah no it did you're right um and i don't know i don't know whether it, it got off track at some point or they needed to cut it for time or what but like it it kind of felt like that bit that sort of ended the wrestling portion and went into the hitting people with flowers portion just felt like it it was just a bit rushed or something yeah yeah i think so i, mean, I don't know how how pacing a a show works i don't know how allocating time works and so on um but obviously they've got this this mammoth main event that is that it has to be an hour yeah um, it, it has to be because of the stipulation so perhaps that's in the back of their minds and maybe they're trying to make sure they don't overrun i don't know I'm, I'm just guessing now but if i was putting a show together and my main event was definitely going to be an hour that would be in the back of my mind i guess with the earlier matches i suppose does that make sense yeah definitely i think that there's a real art to working out how long everything should be and then obviously in practice like they're they're in constant communication right from the back to the referee from the referee mm-hmm. to the talent in the ring um so they they could have been telling them to take it home and they were still had half a match to do and just sort of putting together a cut down version on the fly effectively yeah and things like that happen all the time um so like it's you're just guessing really as to to what caused the output to be as it was but like i didn't think it was bad i thought i had some really nice ideas in there and like the ending with the with the uh with the lead pipe and the creative ways that they used it i thought was really good um but yeah just just a few bits that felt a bit like squiffy yeah no i agree i agree and you mentioned there about you know that sort of thing happens all the time with being told to go home and so on have you ever had a match cut short whilst you're in the ring or, or anything like that uh so generally and it will depend on the promotion so generally the referee will have a watch on and they'll know um roughly how long a match is going to go and you'll know how long the match is supposed to go before you go out there um and it's your job to stick to that time so you're not taking time away from anybody else or um making other people have to do more work because you didn't do enough um so it's just about sort of working together with the referee who actually has a record on his wrist hopefully of how long you've gone how long you you got left um and you're like you can ask him for a time call or you can you'll know, you just get one from him saying like two minutes left boys um okay and you just have to to kind of work with what you got to do um for the rest of the time that that you've got um so if and there's there's stories like this never happened to me, but there's stories of people like being told to have a 10, 15 minute match and then someone before them overruns and like they're just about to go through the curtain and they're like, uh, right, boys, you got to cut to three minutes. Right. Um, and then like professional wrestlers, professional wrestlers, right? You can go out and have a three minute match, like having not planned anything. You should be able to. Um, 
but like obviously if you plan stuff and you still want to get sort of a particular story beat through or whatever then you've both got to be on the same page so it becomes a challenge sometimes yeah i can imagine i suppose it's sort of thinking on your feet as well if things get altered whilst you're in the ring and the referee tells you i don't know has there been a scenario where you thought you had longer left or thought you had not as long and then the ref gives you that time check and you're like oh okay yeah that i mean that happens all the time um and i I tend to be quite good at kind of feeling out sort of how long things are, are supposed to go and how long it's been when you're out there you just kind of get a feel for it over time um but one thing that has happened to me is like we've 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 been in that scenario where like we've had like a 10 15 minutes worth of wrestling um planned to do um with the expectation and then the match before us has gone like an entire match's time over and we're like well okay we'll just go out there and do a little bit and then like it'll it'll come to an end a lot quicker than normal um and you just have to roll with the punches on these things like every show has got its got its time limits whether it's televised or not but televised particularly and on pay-per-view particularly where they're spending thousands of dollars a minute just to have the airtime like things need to be running like clockwork otherwise it's costing people money yeah yeah definitely yeah it's interesting so when that sort of happens or or did happen was there any sort of animosity to the to the match that went long or no no not at all like it's these things happen like Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm quite laid back as it is like most of the time anyway so like these things don't bother me really um and i then there may be people who it does bother but um i don't know i you can't help what you can't help can you no that's right you can't yeah if you can't control it no i saw you mean yeah okay that's really interesting um after we've had this this triple threat here we have a little flashback to smackdown of our good mate briscoe winning the um <laughs> hardcore title by pinning a st- <laughs> i can't even get the words like stop laughing david oh, <laughs> this is so good like by pinning a sleeping crash holly <laughs> oh it's there's, a, there's a video on youtube of um i think it's jushin liger pinning people in their sleep i'm pretty sure there's a video i'm pretty sure it's in a video and it just reminded me of that um but this is this is great like this whole gerald briscoe hardcore champion thing i wish i i wish i'd seen all of it but that's what i saw in this pay-per-view i mean stitches at times it was great i love the fact as well that he's in he's in the clothes that he always tends to wear. So like the shirts yeah. and the trousers and so on, but he's wearing the hardcore title. He's not just carrying it <laughs> yeah. around. You see people now like the 24 seven championship and you see people um, with the hardcore title. Even someone say like Rob Van Dam, who made it quite synonymous a few years later for different reasons, but always carry the title. Yeah. Um, he's wearing this belt with pride. He is, <laughs> he yeah. is walking around like, yeah, I'm the champ. He's yeah. <laughs> It's fantastic. I loved it. Um, our next match is, uh, well, it features somebody from the same faction as Vince called them earlier um, in Shane McMahon going up against the big show. It's no disqualification, falls count anywhere. So straight away, you're assuming there's going to be some sort of shenanigans, people running in and, and interfering and so on. Um, the first thing that sort of stands out to me is the big show's entrance theme. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> do you not I, no. I kind of do um but yeah it's different isn't it and i'm glad they went back to the uh 
to the the proper big show thing. Yeah, the, the one that's sort of dun dun dun. Yeah, dun, that's sort of you know, timed with how he walks and so on, which is yeah. quite cool. Um, it's not a big show without it. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, we kind of get into the sort of run-ins and um, extras, I guess, quite early. I mean, we have a few moments where they're brawling outside the ring. Um, there's a quite bad-looking slam on the steps that Shane takes Oof. at one stage. Yeah, that was horrible. That, that kind of stood out to me from that from the early moments. That that looked that looked bad, didn't it? Yeah, and the thing like. The other thing that always impresses me that they did in this match is Big Show military pressing him from the outside into the ring. And I'm like, yeah, that's a tall man. That's a very tall man there to be able to do that. Yeah, that is insane. You know, and Shane, to be fair, he's not a small fella. I mean, you know, obviously when he's next to the Big Show, he looks like a child, but he's he's, he's not a small lad, is he? It's Shane McMahon. He's, he's, you know, he's got to be six foot plus, I'd assume, and you know, he's put together as well. So being able to do that is just, you say about the size of the guy. I mean, obviously we're stepping ahead a little bit here, skipping ahead, sorry, but the big show at the end of the contest ends up in an, in an ambulance and he's holding his knee and there's a camera angle sort of from the door of the ambulance into the ambulance. And I'm just looking at, I'm thinking his knee is like the size of my whole body. It's just like <laughs> insane. The guy is just huge. Yeah. It's crazy, um, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we have the boss man runs in and starts attacking Big Show. Um, yeah. He fights him off to a degree. We then have Test and Albert run in. Um, so we get a little sight of Trish. Hooray! And, uh, <laughs> it wasn't her night, though, was it? It wasn't. No, oh. Trish, poor poor little Trish got thrown over the top rope, mate. <laughs> I tried the low blow. It did nothing no. whatsoever. Just angered him. Yeah, yeah. So Trish then got picked up and thrown over the top rope, uh, where thankfully there were people there to to catch the wonderful lady and make sure she was not hurt. Um, show rips down some of the the sort sort of metal entrance way that Jr. refers to as a superstructure. I'm not quite sure yeah. the difference between a structure and a superstructure. Not... Oh, it sounds good though, doesn't it? It does. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to have the conversation about we should have proper sets again because I think we've yeah. had that too many times. But when you have a proper set and you can call it a superstructure, yeah, yeah, I'm hyped for that. I want to see that. Um, he's, he's used. He wants to use this. It's almost like a piece of. I, I suppose like rigging or that they use at it's called trilight, isn't it? It's the is that triangular, what it's, it's like three poles with poles welded to the poles. It's the strongest, lightest material they can make yeah. to make structures <laughs> out of. Um but yeah, it's it's used as a weapon here, um, to some effect. Um but the like they very quickly from this point get to the finish. And this is a finish that as soon as I saw it, I was like, Oh, it's this one. I see even when it happened, I was like, I don't remember this. So I'm not sure if I've not seen this before. My, I mean, ultimately, we'll, we'll get to that in just a sec. But we had um, Tess and Albert come back and, and attack the big show some more. Uh, and I've got a note here that just says, obviously, you've got, you got Bossman, you've got Tess and Albert, you've got Trish trying to have a go at him. Um, big show's out there all on his own. I've just got a note here that says, has the big show got no mates? <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> That's like... That's a good point. It's like surely, surely he's got a friend backstage who'd help him out, but maybe, maybe he hasn't. I don't know. Also, and then, and I've um, just like realised this. Was he has he stopped doing the being other wrestlers thing at this point? Yeah, it looks like it. Because we had a cut. He had what was he? We had Shokishi, didn't we? And was it Hogan? Yeah. He, was he was. as well? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I assumed that would go on for a while. 
I bet there's some unused Big Show as other wrestlers' costumes somewhere. Like that, I need what I went like two months, three months. I wonder if there's any on like a Raw and SmackDown that we've missed. Oh, maybe. Uh, I'll research and report back, Dave, and we'll, we'll, we'll try and get pictures of it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Big Show's then sort of getting beaten down a little bit more, and then show favourite Bob Buchanan turns up. Yeah. Um, great to see him. <laughs> and, and this is the thing. This shows how great Bob Buchanan is, because the Big Show, um, it wasn't put down by the boss man. Tess and Albert can get the job done. No. Our mate Bull turns up, though. He sorts it out. He's <laughs> <laughs> like you're using that nightstick wrong mate here you go <clears throat> yeah exactly um bull buchanan and shane end up putting like a big sort of amplifier speaker kit box effort on the big show to pin him down and then this is the thing that you sort of hinted at dave um shane hits him in the head of a cinder block yeah i was like he's carrying it over and he's selling it like this is the heaviest thing on on earth and then he smashes it on the big show's head and literally smashes it it turns to like yeah turns to dust and my initial thought when i was watching it because i'm old and cynical now was not that he's carrying it like it's really heavy it was he's carrying it like he doesn't want it to crumble into dust in his hands before he gets to the big show do you know what that's brilliant because that didn't cross my mind at all. And that you, point, <laughs> now you pointed that out. I'm thinking, yeah, you're spot on. I was just thinking he was trying to make it seem much heavier than it actually was. But yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> it's probably a combination of both. Um, but man, does it ever crumble into dust as soon as he hits him with it? See, the first time I can really remember something like that happening was I, I can't even tell you who it was. It might have been Steve Austin. Um, and you had somebody tied up around the ring post and they smashed it into somebody's knee. Oh, um, and that, I can remember that, but this is after, uh, th- that's after this match. This match was before. So and I honestly, I can't remember this happening. So I don't know whether I've, I've just blocked it out for whatever reason or I've not seen it before, but yeah, it, um, it was, I mean, it was a little silly, wasn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> just the tads. And like, when I first saw this match, I was like, Oh, is Shane going to jump off something big again? Um, yeah, because that's just my assumption. Whenever Shane McMahon was having he a match, he did start climbing, didn't he? He started climbing at one point, yeah. Um, and then I was like, like they pushed the speaker over onto his leg, and they did this this fireworks show with the speaker. Um, and I was like, oh, it's this one, oh, okay. Um, but I, I've not watched this one since it originally happened. Like this is mm. my probably my second time seeing it, unless I rewatched the tape when I was a kid. Um, but for some reason, as soon as I saw that, was, that, that finish stuck with me. So I must have believed the cinder block at one point in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, because of my lasting memory of a cinder block is, is the one on the knee. This one, I don't recall at all, but when I watched it, I was like, Oh my God, what's he going to do with that? And then he hit him. Uh, Shane, sorry, hit the big show. Yeah. And it crumbled the way it did. And I was just like, okay, well, okay, he's pinned down, and, and that's how Shane eventually gets gets the, the three count to win the match. But then the big show's up and walking about again not long after. I mean, okay, he's being <laughs> supported. He's being carried and helped by the likes of Sergeant Slaughter and various other people from backstage. But he's up and just walking around, and he's, he's limping a bit. And that's when he goes off to the ambulance. And I'm just, I got a note here that just says, this is silly. <laughs> yeah i i don't know did they not like i guess they didn't want the big show to be carted out but if you're gonna ever cart out the big show that's the time to do it right he's had his knee trashed underneath the speaker and his head caved in with a cinder block like <laughs> and and he's still hopping out with assistance straight into an ambulance but like yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, okay, there's there's a couple of theories on that. Like the first, the most obvious one is that they don't want the big show to look weak, and him mm-hmm. walking out makes him look super tough after being hit in the head with a cinder block. Um, and the other is it's quicker for him to walk out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know they they are pushed for time in this. Like how long this match didn't feel like it went that long either. Well, no, that's what I was about to say as well. Yeah, this is. Um just over seven minutes so it's actually the shortest match on the show oh wow um and if you think about obviously the boss man testing albert trish oh trish um (laughs) bob buchanan and then the cinder block and the ambulance and all that sort they they fit there's so much going on isn't there there's so much going on in this short period yeah and there's a lot of people to fit into seven minutes with their own things to do isn't it Mm. Yeah, a little bit chaotic, maybe. Yeah, super chaotic. But I guess that adds to a match like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, ultimately, Shane Shane wins the contest, as we say. Um, We then get uh, Briscoe backstage again. Um, Was this the one where he sits in with the referees? I think it was, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, so he's looking for a place to nap, isn't he? Yeah, (laughs) and he falls asleep really quickly. I wish I could do that. He sits down between two referees and just dozes off straight away. <laughs> and the refs think, oh, you know, they, they, they fancy their chances. They want, they want a bit of that championship gold for themselves. And Briscoe wakes up and is quite irate that the referees uh, wanted to stab him in the back there. Yeah. And then we get Triple H and Shawn Michaels sat backstage discussing how Shawn is with his marriage and his kid and everything else and and triple h makes quite a funny comment about you're not going to wear those shorts are you <laughs> it looks like you're smuggling bananas which is obviously a throwback to when um St- Shawn michaels got in quite a bit of trouble in in the attitude era earlier than this when dx was uh up and running fully with Shawn when he actually did put bananas down his shorts and got in big trouble with vince for that apparently really yeah i didn't i didn't know that i thought it was funny anyway because like, for, for the reasons that we talked about it already earlier, like Sean's wearing these ridiculously tight hot pants. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so like it's, it's one of those, like if you're in on the joke, it's even funnier moments than I guess, because I quite enjoyed it as it was. And I was clueless. I think it was, you banged us in the footage of whenever basically they, they sort of recap anything DX wise and they show them being degenerates as they called them. Mm. And there's footage of Sean with sunglasses on, I think, and these shorts, but no top. And he's doing the crotch chop to Jim Ross in the ring and he keeps jumping up and sort of thrusting his crotch in, in Jim Ross's face when he's trying to cut the interview. Right. Um, that was the, I think that was the occasion where he put a banana down the front of his shorts as well. Uh, to, okay. Shall we say enhance his bulge, <laughs> shall we say. And, and Vince apparently went mad at him backstage and they had a big Barney about it, a big falling out and he was in lots and lots of trouble. Um, so this is a reference back to that is, is how I took it anyway. So yeah. That's really interesting though, isn't it? Because probably at the time, the only people who are going to know about that are like the internet fans. Yeah. Yeah, because it's going to be on, like, the dirt sheets, um, which at the time were, like, probably really known, like, properly as the dirt sheets because there were, like, three or four websites in the entire world. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just the derogatory term for them or whatever the heck. Um, but, like, so they've got Sean earlier on in the night, like, having a product, the internet. And then later on, they're doing a joke that is enhanced specifically for the internet. Yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't pick up on that actually. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It is quite funny. I, mean, I love all these little sort of insider touches here and there, and yeah, you know, I, I like as well that sometimes I, I don't want it to be exclusive of certain people, but when certain things get said on screen that make me chuckle that are maybe of more of a, an adult reference or so on. I like the fact that sometimes they're quite subtle so that my daughter doesn't pick up on it. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. So that, that that's yeah. kind of a nice, nice turn there as well. I think, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's quite interesting as well. Them two sat there chatting away, knowing the history between them. Um, this is slap bang in the middle of Sean's supposed four-year hiatus. Um, he obviously got injured in 98, didn't return until SummerSlam 2002. So he's, he's, he's had a little run as a commissioner at one stage. Um, he's back here now as a guest referee because it's an Ironman match and he was in the one at WrestleMania 12. Um, it's interesting as well, though, that in the in the build-up in the main event, which we'll come to shortly, there's a moment where it shows Sean turning up on Raw and saying he wants to be the referee. And he's wearing a red T-shirt that actually has the logo of, I think it's the Texas Wrestling Association. Oh, right. Which is his, his own company he started out in Texas. It was a little training school, and then they put on their own shows. Mm-hmm. And this four-year hiatus of Shawn Michaels isn't actually a full four-year hiatus that WWF leads you to believe, because he main evented one of these Texas Wrestling Association shows. <laughs> for his own company and you can find the match online it's only about 15 20 minutes long um but it's great because it's proper stripped back grainy footage it's like a very low budget kind of promotion but there's Shawn michaels doing Shawn michaels things it's awesome wow yeah i'm gonna like once we're done with this i'm gonna go watch it yeah i'm gonna find it and watch it that sounds great it's very good i I enjoy i mean it's good anyway because it was like we didn't get to see Sean again properly until 2002 when he had what I think is probably the best run of his career. That sort of comeback at that time. Mm. So yeah, these little matches here, he turns out, I think he's, I think he might actually be wearing jeans and cowboy boots when he wrestles as well. <laughs> so I'm not even sure he's got gear. I'm not hundred percent sure. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's definitely worth watching. Um, next up we have another match that's got some sort of stipulation attached to it because I suppose similar to WrestleMania that we reviewed a while back, Dave, even though this, this card's only got six matches as opposed to the many that WrestleMania had, they've all kind of got a stipulation attached to them, haven't they? Yeah, that is true. Like the, obviously the European championship was triple threat. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening tag, it was just a six man, um, yeah. but I guess it was a six. It wasn't a singles match, was it? Um, no, no, no. Wasn't, then, I suppose a normal tag either. I guess is there was to me a no. six man always seems a little bit, a little bit yeah. different in a way. I guess. Yeah, it tends to be a little bit more sort of chaotic, doesn't it? And then mm. um, obviously, Big Show and Shane was falls count anywhere, and then the main is an Iron Man. So you haven't got a standard wrestling match. No, no. And I suppose similar to the Shane and Big Show match where in that short time frame we had so much going on i think the whole pay-per-view kind of feels like that at times there's a lot going on throughout the whole show with people running into matches the stipulations involved um lots of backstage goings on it's a very uh, for want of a better term it's a very it's a very busy show isn't it from start to finish it is and i think it suffers in kind of a lot of the same ways that that wrestlemania does um Mm. in terms of sort of watchability for the same reason like it's not um particularly 
cohesive it doesn't really have a um many spots where like you feel like you should be sort of mellowing out a bit um it, but as a result of it being a three-hour card you have matches where like the fans and like even just sort of sitting and watching it you're kind of like feeling a little bit tired um and therefore not getting into stuff as much as as much as maybe you could if it was a little bit more like roller coaster up and down yeah yeah i agree i mean you need those those we've said it before haven't we when we have certain matches that only go a couple of minutes and we're wondering why they're on the show and we always come to the conclusion that it is to give people a breather so i I think you're spot on um the next match is is for the intercontinental championship and it's chris benoit um defending against chris jericho in a submission match uh this goes just shy of 13 and a half minutes um i really enjoyed this dave what were your thoughts yeah, I thought it was so like it's right up my alley, isn't it? It's um, two submission heavy wrestlers in a submission wrestling match, um, and I, I thought it was really good for the most part. Like it was solid, hard hitting Benoit versus Jericho wrestling, and like that pretty much is a description in itself. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and and stuff they were doing also makes sense as well. I think because Benoit, obviously, his his main asset as a submission wrestler um is his finisher the the crippler crossface he's working on jericho's shoulder very early on um and that, that's just common sense to me because he he's setting up for his move you know i think we've discussed things like this before where sometimes uh, i suppose logic maybe is the term to use things don't quite make sense in the ring with regards to what they could potentially be building towards. But Benoit here by working Jericho's shoulder, I think tells a great story. Yeah, definitely. And, um, another really nice thing as sort of, as the match built up, they got to like effectively what was the high point of the match was, um, this sort of incredible, incredible visually submission over the ropes where Benoit sort of got, um, sorry, Jericho's got Benoit draped over the ropes doing the walls of Jericho. It's effectively a tarantula. Yeah. Um, but looks worse somehow um, because like Jericho isn't upside down. He's standing on the inside of the ring with his legs and then Benoit's draped over the top rope and he's got his legs, um, his arms trapped um, on the other side. And like, you can see the tension in Benoit's like upper chest and stuff where it's being pulled backwards and like, it's visually incredible and the crowd really go for it. Um, and because it's a submission match, I think that would have been a legitimate finish. Well, this is something I was going to mention as well, because obviously I've seen submission matches before, and I enjoy that type of wrestling more so than, I suppose, potential others. The actual hold-for-hold technical side of things is kind of what I like watching. Um, So submission matches, to me, I'm thinking, okay, great, I'm going to see some excellent wrestling here. But in this one... They're breaking, I suppose, normal wrestling rules quite often. And it sort of came into my head that obviously they can't be disqualified because that's not a submission. Yeah. But I'd never really given it, even now at 40 years of age of all the wrestling I've watched, I'd never really given it much thought in that a submission match, which should, in theory, make me think of proper technical hold-for-hold wrestling, could end up being a brawl with a load of chairs, I guess. 
Yeah, I think it all comes down to how the promotion defines it, right? Because you could, like, there's there's nothing stopping them going, this is a submission match, it can only end legitimately by submission, but do anything naughty and you get disqualified and then no one wins. Like, that's you could do that. There's no reason you couldn't do that. But yeah. they took a decision here to do, okay, this is also no disqualification, despite the fact that they've had, like, no disqualification in the last man standing match immediately before. Yeah, that's yeah, right, immediately yeah. before. So you've got like these two no holds barred matches, and then, in fact, is there any holds barred matches left? I guess the Iron Man technically, although they um, use that, they play with that a little bit in the Iron Man. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Um. So there's no sort of like there are strict wrestling rules matches left on this card. Um. After the triple threat but the triple threat doesn't you can't be disqualified in a triple threat no that's right so after the opening tag (laughs) after the opening tag effectively disqualifications don't Don't apply really um to to end a match i guess Hmm. that's interesting yeah i I didn't pick up on that but you're right i mean it, it, it is so stipulation heavy this show even though it's only six matches, but yeah, that, that's a good, that's a really good, interesting point. Mm. Um, Jericho ultimately gets choked out here yeah. in the crossface, similar to, I suppose, the famous WrestleMania match with Bret Hart and Steve Austin, where Austin doesn't quit; he passes out. Um, so the match finishes that way. Um, but to me, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong here, but I thought literally choking somebody out at one point was an illegal hold in wrestling. Well, it should be, right? But no holds barred in this one, I guess. And maybe that plays into sort of why they made that decision. Um, but I don't know. Like, the the end of this one, like, Jericho's hair's over his face. Yeah. For the, for the longest time. And it really hampers the story of the match, I think. Like, if... Benoit somehow managed to like loosen up for a second so Jericho could have blown his hair away from his face and you could actually see the pain he was in or whatever. Yeah, the, like, the commentators the pick it, yeah. up on it as well because like as soon as he transitions eventually to like underneath the chin like and makes it a choke um like Jericho's face is at least partially visible and the commentators like oh you can see actually how much like pain he's in oh god like and then he so I don't know if the ending of this was extended because they realized that no one could see like if, if Jericho had his hair completely covering his face and passed out, no one would know that happened. Right. Mm. So like, there's this really awkward thing where he's got him in the cross face, but he's, he's looking like, um, the monster. He's got, he's just, he's just hair. Um, cousin it. Cousin it. That's the one. Yeah. Um, and he's just hair. And I don't know if at that point they're like, we can't, and end it like this or whether like they're, they're doing the struggle and they don't realize or what, but it just feels a bit awkward. Like from the point he puts on the first cross face, because then like he kind of gets out of it a little bit, puts it back on his hair, still completely covering his face. And I'm like, Oh God, really? Um, mm. And then eventually like he, he kind of breaks it up, beats on him a little bit and then puts it on as a choke and he fades like almost immediately um, as soon as you can see his face. So I don't know if it was meant to happen a little bit quicker, but like that felt a little bit like drawn out, but it may have only felt drawn out because I couldn't connect with the story of the end of it. Cause I couldn't see what was going on. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And you, you see as well, I think Jericho 
I mean, Jericho's a very clever fella, let's be honest. He, he, he's very intelligent when it comes to these sorts of things. He's trying to get his hair out of his face, you can see at one stage. Yeah. He's desperately clawing at, rather than at Benoit's arm, yeah, get out of the hold. He's trying to put his own hair out of the way. Which <laughs> but Benoit's got it on so tight that his hair is literally trapped to his face. Yeah, and he kind of like almost bending his nose to one side with a lock of Jericho's hair. That must have been so <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I mean. Again, going back to that submission match at WrestleMania, uh, what was it, 13, with with Bret Hart and Steve Austin, the, 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 the face... The visuals of Austin pouring with blood and yelling and shouting at the camera and seeing his face telling that story made that finish. And it helped with the whole double turn in that match. Austin's reactions there. So I think you're, you're spot on. It, the, the, the visuals of seeing Jericho's face would have helped so much, mm-hmm. you know, by comparison to the, to the Austin Hart match with this finish. I think I think I think you're I think you're onto something there. Yeah, and I don't know how common it was back then for people to pass out, and whether this was like it, whether it was as common as it feels like it is today. Um, but I like it. It would be unfair to judge this based upon how I feel about it today if it's not. But I really don't like the pass out finish anymore because I think it's overdone. Okay, I think it's. Um, I think it's an escape, isn't it? Really, it's, it's, it's meant to be like, ah, oh, he was too tough. Like he was, he's. He's not gonna. He's not gonna tap out. He's he's tough. But like yeah. in the era of UFC, I think like people realize enough that like submissions are dangerous things, right? If and this one's kind of like gets a pass because it's a legit choke and like a legit choke, like you see in UFC, legit chokes come on like immediately and you pass out and that's it. But like in wrestling, where you've got like you're selling sleeper holds for minutes on end and stuff like that for it's that juxtaposition isn't it of like Benoit does the cross face on Jericho traps it in as a choke he's out in 10 seconds in 45 minutes time Triple H is going to put a sleeper on the rock mm-hmm. what happens yeah exactly. he's, like, he's, yeah. In, he's in the mood for a long long time yeah so I Sometimes I like it's it's these things in wrestling that kind of clash and it kind of makes me a bit sad. <laughs> um, but it's just no, like, I agree. Yeah, I, I completely it, agree. It was something I was going to ask you about actually, with regards to when we get to the main event, with how long people are in certain holds. Because I mean, when you you mentioning UFC as, as an example is, is really really good because you see these these moves get cinched in. People are tapping within seconds because they know I'm not going to get out of this. I don't want my shoulder ripped out. I don't want to end up with you know brain issues where I've been forced to pass out because of lack of oxygen or whatever. Um, but then you've got moments like the the cross face here that seems to go on for for quite a while. You've got the figure four in the main event that will come to shortly, and the sleeper in the main event that last for ages and. It just doesn't make sense, I guess. I think like the the difficulty is where you have both, particularly on the same show. Like I think it would have been like the the crossface was kind of okay because the crossface uh, when it was on the face was just painful. Mm-hmm. The crossface when it was on the throat was a choke. Yeah, and he went out straight away from it. Um, the figure four they're talking like we'll get to it probably at the time, but they're talking about it 
in the match. It's like, oh, Triple H doesn't want his leg broken. He should he should give up at this point and like save himself and, and move on. But it still goes on for ages. Mm. And like it's like building up Triple H is tough. But is it building up Triple H is tough or is it building up the Rock as ineffective? And yeah, like, actually, it's that's a, a good point. It's a very adult perspective on it. And it's not like the, when you're watching it as a kid, you don't care. You're just like, oh, wow, this is wrestling. This is fun. Um, and we're kind of philosophizing over sort of a very adult perspective on wrestling that I appreciate is kind of absurd. Um, but at the same time, it's like it, it does like jar when you're watching wrestling as an adult, like particularly in 2021, when if you're a wrestling fan, chances are you've watched a bit of UFC at some point, even if only to tell whether you like it or not. And someone cinches in a rear naked choke and they either pass out or they tap out immediately. Um, and then you go watch a wrestling show and you're being asked to suspend your disbelief. Um, and you can do that. I think it's still possible to have that sort of juxtaposition between reality UFC and wrestling. And these are the rules of wrestling and rear naked chokes or sleeper holds as we call them in wrestling are not something that you have to immediately tap out from, but there's something that you can kind of like power through and fight out of in the realm of this reality that we build in wrestling. But that only works if someone else on the same show isn't trying to bring the UFC in mm. and say, you pass out now or you tap out now immediately. Um, because then you have that juxtaposition within the same world, the same reality. And that's when people get taken out of their, sort of suspension of disbelief and things start to fall apart a little bit. Or at least, I don't know, that's my view on it. No, I, it's, it's a view I completely agree with. Um, again, I use my little girl as kind of a parameter, I guess, for certain things. And and she has pointed out, well, hang on, that happened in that match. Why is, <laughs> why is he doing that, Daddy? And, wow. you know, th- that was on a recent episode. Well, I'd say recent, probably like three, four weeks ago, episode of, of Dynamite. There was something in one match in the AEW show that, I suppose, contradicted, I suppose, what happened later on. Um, and she's 11 and she noticed. Man. But she watches a ton of wrestling as well. So maybe she's a bit more informed than I give her credit for. I don't know. But, you know, she did notice. So Yeah. And maybe, like, kids are more more informed these days, right? And as wrestlers, we do need to be aware of that. And, like, they would call it smarter, right? They're smartened up to the business a bit more. And to, to, even if they're not sort of aware that endings are sort of predefined or mm-hmm. that um, things get planned or whatever, like they are still like have the ability to look at something and understand whether it makes sense to them or not. Yeah. Um, and when you have, when you have things that are very blatantly contradictory happening within an hour of each other, like if it happened on dynamite, it's probably one's half hour in one's half hour before the end right they're probably within an hour of each other yeah 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 um and i think we do have to be careful as performers like even if we're in completely separate matches that we're planning completely separate rooms in a in the venue or whatever that we are not contradicting each other because you are effectively making each other look worse in the eyes of the the people that you're trying to entertain yeah exactly and i think that goes for things you use in a match as well i mean the steps were used um i think the steps were used in the submission match on the outside but they're also used in the match beforehand yeah with shane and the big show now to me again my 11 year old watching it may not bother her but 
if you see, I, I suppose it's the, it's the super kick thing with, with the young bucks, I guess. And you see a million super kicks, all of a sudden, uh, you know, you see a super kick in a match. It doesn't mean anything anymore. If you use the stairs in one match and then you use them again in the next match, it kind of, I suppose, nullifies the effect of seeing that, that, that moment, that, that spot, I guess. Yeah. And if you, um, think about it and use it the other way, you can actually use repeating things like that to make things better. So if you had a super kick that in a match sort of halfway through a card finishes the match, that, move immediately means something right and then mm-hmm. if later on it's used again in the main event that's then a a very easy legitimate false finish that if you kick out a 2.9 it's actually going to surprise people yeah and you get the and reaction you, from the crowd for that and, and, and yeah that's spot on so if like it's this whole thing of, like if everybody works together and everybody makes sure that everything makes sense then the the eventual output it can be that much better yeah definitely Definitely. I mean, on the topic of, of the Young Bucks, very quickly before we get sidetracked too far away from uh, 2000, um, th- talking about my little girl being clued up in certain ways and so on, I'm still fairly convinced that she buys into what she sees as being legit and not predetermined, and I'm going to hold on to that for as long as I can. Yeah. Purely dude. because she, she's uh, probably the biggest fan of the Young Bucks. Uh, well, the biggest fan I know. She adores the Bucks. Um, and that was from when we started watching New Japan together a long time ago. She just thought the Bucks were fantastic. And then AEW, she loves that. Loves the Bucks on there. Now, obviously, they've, you know, turned heel, I suppose, to, to coin the term. Um, she hates them. Oh, really? She is completely turned on. She oh, cannot no. stand them. And I, deep down, I'm kind of quite happy about that. Because it's, <laughs> to me, it's like, I thought that I thought I'd never see the day where, and of course Jericho as well. Jericho throughout the AEW run has been primarily a bad guy, and then and the number one bad guy um, for a long period when he was champion. Now, because of the whole MJF thing and so on, Jericho he's a good guy. Yeah. I never thought I'd see the day that my little girl would support Chris Jericho and dislike the Bucks because wow. her feeling, her hatred for Jericho was so strong and her love for the bucks was so strong but now it's happened i'm thinking yeah she still buys into it because I, I can't ask the question because that exposes it all together so i've yeah, got to yeah. try and take take <laughs> little hints and, and i think at the moment yeah that's still that's still good to go on that front i think so <laughs> and it's a sign that for all like it may be criticized for, for sort of maybe not paying attention to believability all of the time that they're doing enough for her opinions to be changed when they want them to be changed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's good. Show. I think MJF could be, could turn out and be the nicest guy in the world. Um, <laughs> and like present, she would still hate him. She despises oh, yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult character to change. I can't see him ever doing that. No, no. It makes me laugh how cross. I used to pick her up from school and then play his music on my phone as we were walking home. She would storm <laughs> off in a huff. She she hates him that much. So I suppose he's doing a good job. <laughs> um, after the submissions match here that um, Ben Wilde really retains his title in, we have a promo for the King of the Ring tournament coming up, which that was a bit of an odd promo for me as well because I didn't pick up it was about an event at all until the words King of the Ring came up on the screen at the end that just seemed like a Triple H promo to me I thought it was a don't try this at home yeah yeah it makes sense 
Because he was like, you get in the ring, you're going to get hurt. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but yeah, like, well, it got my attention. So I guess it worked. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose that's our, our next venture out to the year 2000. Dave, I suppose we'll be looking at King of the Ring next by the looks of it. Yeah. Um, we get a bit more of Briscoe tottering about backstage. Um, ends up with coffee and popcorn all over himself again. And then we have a quick cut of The Rock warning Shawn Michaels to basically just call the match down the middle, I guess, and not be pally-pally with his mate Triple H. Um, we spoke earlier on about how certain matches kind of are needed to to give people a break if there's too much going on or if a show is too busy and so on. In previous pay-per-views we've seen. This doesn't really happen on this show, as we said. It tends to be quite a busy event from start to finish. And I think that shows in this next match, because this is where they kind of lost me, Dave. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. I I wasn't really pulled into this one either. Yeah, it's... um. I mean, it's, it's a tables match, which I'm not a massive fan of that stipulation anyway, to be honest. But it's Road Dog and X-Pac from D-Generation X, uh, accompanied by Tori. Um, and they are up against the Dudley Boys, Bubba Ray and Devon. Goes just shy of 11 minutes. Um, yeah, it kind of lost me about halfway through. I started watching the match as I would the other contests. And I find myself just sort of wandering a little bit. I was looking at what the cat was up to. I was playing on my phone. <laughs> I did get dragged back in towards the end, but I think it wasn't necessarily that this wasn't good. I think it's just that I've been bombarded with so much up to this point that I needed a break, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I was probably the same. It was about 1.45am by the time I got to this match, I think. Um, okay. <laughs> and um, So... I was kind of like, I'm not particularly invested in the outcome because it's it's just a throwaway tables match, isn't it? And like, you might see a 3D through a table. Didn't get the one I thought I was going to see. I got a different one entirely. That was interesting. Um, but yeah, I thought like there were a few moments in this match that were quite nice. I quite liked the, the pump handle slam off the steps through the table. I thought that looked yeah. pretty impactful. That was quite nice. Um, and then some stuff happened in the middle. Um, and we end up with it looking like um, Tori's going to end up getting the Trish Stratus treatment and get powerbomb through a table. And then Gerald Briscoe turns up. Yeah, with the dick punch of Dean. <laughs> Yeah. To um, <laughs> at least this one worked. Yeah, yeah. To uh, to Bubba Ray, and then he ends up getting put through the table by X Park for DX to win the match. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. You're kind of in the middle. I just kind of drifted away from it. Really, one thing I did notice at the quite early on that was odd. Obviously, it's bedlam, isn't it? There's people everywhere, people going through tables and so on. And if the only way to win is to put your opponent through a table, again, it's effectively a no DQ match, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's, yeah. it's, that's the sort of stipulation there. But they're tagging in and out. <laughs> I didn't notice they were tagging. At the Why didn't I uh, notice they were tagging? That's hilarious. Uh, it's um, only at the beginning. Um, <laughs> You've got um, one member from each team stood in the corner holding the tag rope. Oh, man. As they start hilarious. the match. And I'm just like okay so is that how that's going to work then and then it just goes a bit mad and there's lots of bodies involved again and 
yeah, it's not something I'm gonna rush back and and rewatch, David. To be honest, no, I think that's fair. I think we did get a 3D, didn't we? Because we got a 3D through the table, and then the ref was down, um, yes. and it didn't count because the ref didn't see it. And then X Pack did the X Factor off the top rope through a table, which was. I was expecting like a hurricane run. I was like, what's he going to do? I was like, oh, of course. His finish is the X Factor. Do the X Factor. I thought it was quite smart. Um, and then like them being like, hey, ref, look, he went, we did the table thing. And the ref goes, yeah, whatever, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, um, he's, he's lost interest by this yeah. point because he's gone through a table. Yeah, and I yeah. thought that was quite good. And then um, Gerald Briscoe, the trooper, gets put through a table as well. And it's all a bit of a, just to like send him into the main event, happy ending. Yeah. I mean, the thing is as well, though, all these people, uh, obviously Briscoe's got a level of paranoia to him because he's the hardcore champion. But there is some reason for that paranoia because people are chasing him around to try and take his belt. He's just been 3D'd through a table. <laughs> no one, no one, no one actually, but yeah, no one turns up to, to, to pin him. I mean, even yeah. the guys in the ring, even Tory, whoever, you know. <laughs> what does that say about the hardcore championship? Perhaps it was just all in Briscoe's head all along. And no <laughs> nobody else gave a shit. And it was yeah. just walk it was just walking around paranoid. <laughs> nobody else wants the nightmare of it. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from Crash. <laughs> who loved it. <laughs> yeah. Um after that sort of I, I suppose very busy mess, we have a the creepy kids promo is the note I've got here. <laughs> where they're kids promo. Yeah. Um we were messaging about this the other day, David, weren't we? And, and the sort of pointed out that these kids are probably now in their thirties, which sort of takes away, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it takes away a little bit of the creepiness, I guess, but these oh, young girls boy. sort of reciting, um, certain lyrics or bits of a nursery rhyme or whatever. And it is just, it is just creepy, isn't it? And it's well yeah. done, I think. Yeah, it's really well done. And like I said, last time we were talking about this, like the fact that I still remember it, all this time later, um, whether they've used them again or not since um, is sort of testament to how good it is um, as a, as kind of like a promo for someone to return. Um, but yeah, I can't help but like be a little bit weirded out every time I see it. Mm. Uh, and JR and um, the King on commentary are saying, uh, what's that about? Cause they've had these little, video packages or vignettes or however you want to word them playing out on raw and smackdown as well i believe so they're sort of a bit like well why do you know anything about this why does this keep happening um but all will become clear in roughly an hour's time (laughs) Um, (laughs) because that leads us into our main event and the reason i guess we're here for this show because it's an hour-long iron man match for the wwf title it's two of the biggest names in the history of the business in the rock and triple H with one of my personal favorites and also another massive name in, in the history of wrestling, Shawn Michaels as the guest referee. Um, what were your overall sort of, I, I suppose overall thoughts on this match then Dave, rather than breaking it down bit by bit, what, what overall the whole hour, how did you find this? I really enjoyed it. But I was really interested when I was watching it and seeing how they laid it out. And I thought it was um, kind of interesting how they did it because they had like a section at the start that was just like a basic wrestling match. Mm-hmm. And how often do you see The Rock and Triple H have like a basic wrestling match? Like they might do little bits here and there, but like a lot of their big matches were just like a lot of punch kick and then like doing their big moves and then they get to an end. So they've got 60 minutes here and they have a little bit of time to do some like actual wrestling. 
and some like house showy type shoulder tackle spots and stuff like that. And that was really interesting to watch to see these two guys who are like absolute greats at wrestling do this basic stuff really well that they just never do normally. Um, but also what was interesting is at the end of that first segment of just wrestling, the way they got to the first fall was pretty much just, we'll do a little bit of basic wrestling type stuff for a little while. Oh, rock bottom. Mm. That's the first fall. And it came out of nowhere and the crowd woke up. Yeah. Yeah. The crowd are interesting. I think in this, um, it, it, don't get me wrong. It, it's an hour long match and it must be difficult. I suppose keeping people's interest for the whole hour unless of course you know you are at the top 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 of the game which i suppose these guys are but they kind of they do drift away for a few moments here and there but it's the way that they as you said there with with the rock bottom it just brings them back in again straight away um triple h picks up another another decision a little bit later on with a pile driver and the crowd react to that because I don't at this stage you don't see a lot of pile drivers on WWF television, so again it sort of drags people back in. I think. It, and the King's response to that as well was like, "Yeah, that always works." Yeah, because that was his that move, was wasn't fantastic. it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jerry was a, he was okay on this show. I think he wasn't too yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, he, we didn't get the usual high levels of lechiness, maybe because we didn't get you know the usual levels of. Uh, scantily clad ladies on the screen potentially there's a few comments about Tori a few comments about Trish but on the whole yeah, I think he did he did quite a good time, job they didn't have time for the um, for the the Maya Moolah and their friends spot on this uh, one yeah there was no Kat and um, Terry Terry no oh, yeah. didn't even pick up on that Shows how much I did not miss <laughs> <laughs> anyway back to the Iron Man match yeah um, um so yeah, they do that sort of first bit where like they're they're just having a wrestling match, um, and that's kind of interesting to watch. And that's like phase one of the match, and then that ends with the rock bomb, and then the rock starts working Triple H's leg. Yeah, and from that point, like, and I think this is where the crowd kind of get a little bit flat at times. Like the rock's pretty much working heat on Triple H mm. for a good portion of this match. So the rock's on top, and he's like the pacing. And the sort of structure of that segment of the match, you would feel normally like the roles were reverse. Yeah, that was really interesting to watch. I've got a note here actually saying, um, you know, rock bottom for the first fall. The very next note I have is rock working the leg and then rock with a figure four. I don't think I've seen that before. Yeah. So then they get to yeah. So the rock works the leg and then they get to that figure four and the rock's sort of in the dominant position in this segment of the match where like you wouldn't normally have the baby face and in sort of your standard three act structure. Although the three act structure, I guess is like much widened over an hour here. Mm -hmm. Um, It's he's on top, but he's not on top in a very traditional way here in terms of professional wrestling. Right. And like wrestling can be whatever you want it to be. And like, I'm not saying this is bad. I found it really interesting to watch. Um, but the rock is like effectively being the aggressor here. And he is sort of doing things that you wouldn't normally expect the good guy in a wrestling match to do, like wrapping his leg around the ring post a lot and then putting him in a figure four for ages. And triple H is the one that's the underdog here. Having to kind of scrap his way out of a figure four. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, a lot of the, I suppose a lot of the offense by the rock at at this stage is kind of, 
very unrock like as well. As I said, the figure four, I've not seen him use that. Um, he also, I think JR described it as, as a leg bar at one stage. Yeah. Um, I don't remember seeing the rock do that before. So yeah, you're spot on. And it did for me to notice it to that level, it must've been quite odd for me to really sort of pick up on it that strongly, I guess. Yeah. Um, some a couple of things I didn't I noticed throughout the match, sort of aside from the wrestling. Um, one is that tri- Triple H is sporting a lovely orange Hulk Hogan tan here, which, <laughs> which is brilliant. Um, yeah. And early on, he, he comes out with them at Mars, doesn't he? Steph, Vince, and Shane, and he yeah. sends them all to the back to say he's going to do this on his own. Um, and just something I picked up on that made me chuckle as they get to the entrance way. So, so Triple H is in the ring. He sent them back. Steph and Shane turn around and they're pointing at Triple H saying, you're the man, you've got this and so on. And Vince, I don't think quite grasps the situation. And as the two younger McMahons are pointing and saying, you're the man, you're the man. Vince just kind of waves like he's saying, yep, cheerio. As he, <laughs> as he walks up. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like That's he said, Ta-da, I'll see you in an hour. Or so, you know? <laughs> Well, that whole thing is interesting too, right? Because the, I mean, maybe it was just a way of like explaining them not being out there when they've been such a constant thorn in the side when Triple H has been out there in previous months or whatever. But like to have Triple H like at the beginning, at the beginning of this being like, no, I want to prove that I can do this. Like almost gets you behind him a little bit. Yeah. And then like, so he sends him away and then like, they do some fairly back and forth wrestling, like all very clean, all very normal. And then the first person to be put in a compromising position and effectively be the underdog and almost the guy that you'd want to root for if you didn't already think he was a complete git is Triple H. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and he's obviously behind a fall as well as being in the figure four and having the issues with the leg as well. So everything is stacked against him. As you said, he's very much the underdog. Yeah. It is odd when you think about it, I guess. Um, we quickly accelerate to sort of half an hour in and triple H has sort of took control by this stage. He, he's free one up after the pile driver that I mentioned previously. Um, but you're seeing, you're seeing stuff here. I suppose that, because they've got so much time, I guess you're seeing things that you don't necessarily normally. So I don't, I don't recall Triple H using a pile driver in any other match. I don't remember seeing him do that. Um, the Rock picks up a pinfall with a DDT. Now we've seen the Rock use a DDT a great deal of times. It's sort of one of his set maneuvers, I guess, something that he goes to quite often. Um, but he gets a pinfall with that. That's one of my pet hates in multi-fall matches, where just because it's a multi-fall match, all of a sudden, like moves that never get somebody a finish get them a get them a fall yeah Um, it doesn't make sense i mean you've got earlier on in the show uh, again i suppose we hark back to um things sort of going from match to match and and sort of keeping that logic theme or that logic line running from you know throughout the whole show earlier on in the match you had rikishi obviously with a smell and head stand up from a ddt (laughs) and here you've got the guy who's ultimately going to leave as your world champion getting pinned from a DDT. Man, that's a point, isn't it? I hadn't thought of that. You know, that's the same. That's the same thing. Yeah. It's insane, really. But, you know, um, we also get a a bit of a messy roll-up at one stage, like uh, an inside cradle that doesn't quite 
go right, but Triple H gets a pin with that. Mm. And there's a lot of decisions, isn't there, in, in this? I mean, it ends ultimately it ends 6-5 after an hour. So that's 11 decisions in the space of an hour. Yeah. So that's quite a lot. And the, I feel like they all come quite quickly. And this tends to be like the, the way it goes with a lot of these multi-full matches, isn't it? That sort of you'll have like a, a period of time at the beginning and they're much like towards what the end of what would be a normal match you'll start to see things that aren't normally a finish get a finish although in this one we got we 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 did initially get we got a rock bottom we got a pedigree for the first two that's great and that almost like explains some of the rest because like they're already wrecked because triple h taking the rock bottom um the rock's taking the pedigree and then immediately that inside cradle came after and commentary did a really good job on that i thought because they did the pedigree the match restarted and then almost immediately they did like a little bit of running into the inside cradle and triple h got the other four and it was all a bit messy and they explained it away as the rock being like completely spaced from having his head driven into the mat and i thought like whether that was intended to look like that or not they did a really good job of covering for it yeah and again it comes back to i I suppose what we were talking about earlier just making sense from a fan's standpoint if i was to show that to somebody who doesn't watch wrestling what the commentary team adds there makes it make sense i guess yeah yeah definitely and then obviously then then they go to the power driver which kind of came out a bit out of nowhere for me because i wasn't expecting him to do it um but also because like it was I think it was fairly out of nowhere in the context of the match. It was just like, okay, I'm going to do a prior driver now. Yeah. Did it. (laughs) Right. Um, And then like after that, um, does he get another fall before he hits him with a chair? Let me have a look. We have the par driver to make it three, one triple H. We have the next pinfall is the rock with the DDT to make it three, two triple H. Um, Triple H is then, disqualified for yeah. using the chair which makes it three each yeah. and that's something i quite enjoy as well yes okay there's a lot of decisions here it's six five it's a lot of of decisions in in the hour but you've got a disqualification you've got the submission i guess for the passing out in the sleeper you've got a count out dis- decision here as well it's not all just pinfall 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 which i thought helped with the story of the match i guess yeah yeah i think it did and like the it was really smart to do the chair shot right i quite like that that's uh it's been used a few times over the last like 20 30 years isn't it they do an iron man match and someone like whacks someone with an object and it puts them down for a couple of falls and they were immediately like on the back foot and it really kind of that was the turning point um kind of where like it changed from being like a wrestling match to being kind of like that attitude era kind of weapons and stuff again match um which kind of needed to happen at some point didn't it? especially with sort of the end being how it is um but yeah so they do the they do the chair shot and like he gets disqualified but like he picks up a pin again immediately after so it nullifies itself essentially it doesn't change the the sort of the gap between the scores and then it puts triple h at a massive advantage um and then then they go to that sort of sleeper spot and i think we've talked sort of plenty about sort of the sleeper and stuff like this one goes on for a while uh-huh. and like the key thing really that that sort of stood out for me is that the ref in the match before was like oh jericho's out ring the bell um the ref in this match Shawn michaels and 
I don't know if you wanted to, you could explain it away as him not being as experienced a referee, does the arm drop thing. Yes. And we've gone from UFC to pro wrestling. Yeah. It li- in literally the space of, what, an hour? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, the, the, the disqualification for the steel chair and then the pinfall straight afterwards, that those two decisions come within 30 seconds of each other. And then the submission or passing out through the sleeper is actually only another sort of three minutes after that. Is it only three minutes after Yeah. It, the, the times I've got here, the pinfall from Triple H after using the chair is 44 minutes, eight seconds. The submission for the sleeper to make it 5-3 Triple H is 47 minutes, 28 seconds. So you're looking at three minutes 20 seconds ish is the only the difference but it seems like so much longer doesn't it, it oh seems it like dragged. an absolute it drag? eternity <laughs> yeah that was not an interesting segment of the match it no. was um it was a smart piece of storytelling for the chair but the yeah that i swear that sleeper went on for 10 minutes oh it was a long long it dragged like crazy um triple h ends up getting counted out after the Rock uses a pedigree on the broadcast table, the, the, the Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler's table on the outside. Um, but the table doesn't break, which makes it look pretty bad, doesn't it, to be oh, fair? It, it looks devastating. And I always think it looks more devastating when the table doesn't break, um, just because they're hitting a solid object rather than one that just crumples beneath them. Yeah. But I don't know if it was meant to break or not. I feel like when it's meant to break, it at least breaks a little bit. So, like, it... it looked horrible it was convinced it convinced me that he could be laying on the floor for a while after it i wouldn't have hated it if they'd given him two falls though and allowed him to get one back um just to kind of like sell how devastating it was yeah yeah definitely i mean i, I think it was supposed to break surely with the the w- what we know about how wwe do these things yeah i'd imagine it was supposed and he took all the monitors out and did the usual sort of oh, yeah, setting it up true. i guess so i'd imagine it was supposed to but I, I suppose who knows who knows um the rock then a couple of minutes later levels things up at five apiece on 58 minutes with a people's elbow which everyone tells me they they enjoy it's just silly it's just the rock being the rock but i just can't get behind that move at all <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've always thought of it as the spine buster is the real move. Yeah. If yeah, you think I of it like that, you can wave the rest away. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually. That's what I'm going to start doing from now on. That's a good shot. I love a good spine buster. Big old Anderson fan. So yeah, good spine yeah. buster is excellent. Um, and then with the McMahon's return and they're involved and it just ends up being chaos for the next couple of minutes, doesn't it? Um, but basically Vince and Shane are on the apron. The rock floors them both. Shawn Michaels goes outside to try and deal with, with the McMahon's being there ends up taking a knock himself. DX come into the ring and a beating on the rock. Uh, and then these creepy little girls video packages <laughs> all make sense because as they stated, he's here and we have the undertaker I suppose debuting as the American badass character for the first time. Yeah. Ramp, ramping down to the, the ring on a, a cool motorbike with a, a equally cool leather jacket. Um, and he just sort of cleans house, doesn't he? He does. And this is my introduction to the undertaker as a kid. Right. And I'm like, this is cool. Yeah. I like this. I don't know anything about like what he's done before. Like I've watched five pay-per-views in my entire life. So I like, I like this guy. People seem to think he's a big deal and he's like coming in and kicking ass on a 
cool ass motorbike i like him um so like i'd completely forgotten about the creepy girls which completely weirded me out still um <laughs> and i'm like i like thinking back on it i probably should have been like why does the biker guy have creepy girls in yeah. his promo video um but yeah i enjoy i enjoyed that bit and i thought it was quite clever what they did really um to end this match um with the undertaker coming in i'm assuming with some sort of reason for doing what he's doing coming in and like cleaning house and then grabs triple h and chokes lands into the mat and there's like two seconds to go and sean's like no don't tombstone him don't tombstone him and then the buzzer goes and then he tombstones him Mm. and then sean goes you're he's disqualified because of the choke slam yes yeah yeah um i actually watched the episode of raw that followed this show oh um i watched it this afternoon and the the way they get around that is they have a, a still shot Obviously, Shane, uh, sorry, Shawn Michaels is on the outside. He's took a bump on the outside dealing with the McMahons. Um, He's missed DX battering the rock. Um, He's getting up. So he's got his hand on, I think, the bottom rope and has just pulled himself up and is looking in the ring as the Undertaker chokeslams Triple H. So he sees the chokeslam. Yeah, even though you you think he didn't, he actually did. Yeah, Yeah. the, the, the still image that Jim Ross brings up on commentary shows that he's looking directly at it he's only like a couple of feet away but i don't know if that was an intentional ploy or just uh well that was quite fortunate because it got us out of a hole i I feel like it has to have been because sean then gets in the ring right and he's pleading with the undertaker he's like no don't do that don't do that team because i'll have to disqualify the rock Mm. um and like there's not like if he had actually seen the chest he should have just gone over and gone it's disqualified just yeah that's that yeah yeah so yeah, so that that's that's it, and that uh, decision is online is listed as clocking in at fifty nine minutes fifty nine seconds. So very dramatic wrestling finish there. Um, this gives <laughs> Triple H a six five advantage, and ultimately it gives him the WWF title. Um, this I, is one of those things as well where, if we look at how Triple H has been portrayed as champion. Um, for the times that he has been champion in the last five shows. Yep. They're not going out of their way to make him look good at all, are they? No. <laughs> they're, they're doing like, it's a, probably a testament to how good he is in the ring that he still feels somewhat legitimate. Like, you can look at him with the belt and go, yeah, he's he's WWF champion. He's supposed to be champion. He's Triple H. Um, despite the fact that actually, ugh, I can't really remember a time where he's won anything of his own merit no he looks very much like uh, i suppose the term is the chicken shit heel isn't it i, I guess <laughs> uh, he looks very much fortunate and he's he's effectively the chosen one of the mcmahons and has all the power of this this big entourage behind him helping him retain and win titles i suppose yeah. it's interesting to, to to note because obviously a short while after this he he becomes this you know, much stronger, I suppose, um, champion or challenger who does get things done on his own, whether it's with the occasional use of a sledgehammer, I suppose, but it's, um, he does get more things done on his own. So it's quite an interesting, I suppose, start to this character, I guess. 
Yeah, I think so. Like I've I was I've been surprised to see sort of how weakly he's been booked compared to how strong I thought he was. Hmm. Definitely. And I think that's the real sort of juxtaposition in my mind is that I was like, oh yeah, Triple H was always like super strong. He was champ all the time. But like, and equally I was like, oh, The, the Rock was super strong, but for some reason he was never champion. Um, and if you kind of correlate those two things, then you, you do end up with this. It makes sense. Like The Rock looks really strong because like he shouldn't have lost that. Mm. Not really. He should be walking out the champion. It was 5-5. Five, five. Um, it's just because The Undertaker came in and caused havoc and stuff that like he well the rock should have won boo everything else um but triple h is still walking around with the belt and going i'm the champion and looking really good when he's wrestling so there's no reason to think like that he is like he doesn't act weak in the match for the most part like ever really like even in the mick foley matches like he looked strong in the match he would just get beaten up again afterwards yeah so like the it's kind of one of those i guess times in history where the booking's like completely at odds with how triple h is wrestling but it works somehow yeah and, and again the, the episode of raw that followed this it starts with vince mcmahon in the ring saying that he's made a match and it's the rock versus shane triple h um himself and the fourth person escapes me now, but it basically was a four on one handicap match. So the, the world champion is on the team of the four. Right. Um, again, I suppose backing up what you're saying there about how it doesn't really aid him looking strong. It makes him look right. again, more, more part of this entourage or group. Um, and then throughout the show, the rock is effectively in the car park throughout the whole episode of raw. And everyone is arriving in stages. So he gets hold of Vince early on, um, beats him up backstage, puts him in a limo and gets him sent off. <laughs> he then, uh, the road dog and X-Pac arrive and he jumps them and gets them beaten up and runs up. And he basically runs off every single member of this <laughs> DX corporation kind of group before going out to the ring and saying, Triple H, it's just me and you now. And then all the, these people come back anyway. So even then, it's not <laughs> Triple H on his own. They all come back and attack The Rock anyway. And again, The Undertaker arrives with the creepy girl music to make a save. Um, and then the show goes off air. So even the episode of Raw that followed this is very much, the theme running through it is very much The Rock is strong, The Rock is dominating everybody. And even the champion it, it, it is not up to the, standards i guess of the rock i suppose yeah and then but like it's always the booking is saying that like the storyline everything the Mm -hmm. the entire context is saying that but then like you get into a match and for the most part triple h is holding his own um and it like it it works for him like throughout this period because like my expectation and my opinion of him at this time was that triple h was strong was the champ um and for whatever reason everything else just melts away over time and you're just mm. like yeah triple h was strong in the early 2000s one thing as well um before we sort of uh, come to a come to an end here tonight um i'm so happy to see the undertaker 
because this is what what do we say that was it our fifth pay-per-view we've done or our sixth or something yeah. like that um obviously austin is out injured he doesn't return for a little while the undertaker has been out for the whole duration of us tracking back through the year 2000 the main event picture in all of these shows has very much been the rock and triple h few other variations involved but having the undertaker arrive genuinely makes me excited for what we're going to get coming up because to me all of a sudden it's even though it's the undertaker and he's been around forever and you know looking back now in 2021 it's not fresh blood in any way stretch of the imagination but to our little sort of venture through 2000 it feels like something fresh it feels like something new entering the main event scene of what we're watching if that makes sense yeah and this is like this is my incarnation of the undertaker right and i know that's blasphemous i'm really sorry wrestling people um (laughs) but like this this is the undertaker to me this is the undertaker i grew up with and i'm really excited to see like last rides and stuff because Mm. i thought it was cool as heck when i was a kid yeah definitely I, i really like this version of the undertaker as well um Okay, so that brings us to the end of Judgment Day 2000. Um, on our usual school grade system, where do you put this one, Dave? Oh, I'm a little bit torn. I'm a little bit torn. Um, I think B minus. I was going to say either okay. B minus or C plus. I like. I thought it was all right. I thought it was good. Um, there was just like I like I said earlier. I think it suffered from the there's not enough just wrestling matches on this card and it therefore like all a little bit bundles into one chaotic hitting each other with weapons mess um but the beginning match was fun um the end match was like it was an IMM match and there's sort of an epicness to that and personally i enjoyed it because like it was really interesting to watch how they put this together and did like a little bit of more like wrestling-y stuff that like Triple H and The Rock would never normally do. Um, but I don't know. I think it was, It just felt like it was missing some energy that, that maybe the previous couple of pay-per-views had. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I'm kind of leaning the same way. I probably may put it a smidge lower, uh, a C-plus potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, again, similar similar sort of thoughts to yourself, that the opener w- was good, it did its purpose, and I'm turning into quite the too cool fan now. Um, <laughs> the triple threat for the European title, it felt like it was just getting going when it stopped, which kind of, I suppose, yeah. took the shine off that a little bit for me. Um, Shame at Marlon in the big show, despite the fact we got to see Trish and show favourite Bob Buchanan. <laughs> it, it was just absolute nonsense. Um, <laughs> the tables match, it lost me partway through. Um, I enjoyed the submission match and I enjoyed the main event, but that's kind of it really for me. So I think a C plus potentially is, is, is why I'd give it mate. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. It sounds like we're on the same page. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, before I let you go, David, do you want to let everyone out there in Twitter land and on the interwebs know where they can find you? Of course on Twitter, which I might actually look at, these days um it's at <laughs> heritage city hm i've been checking it sporadically at best but i have it on my phone now so i'll at least get a notification um and on facebook i'm david eaton it's a, a ad friend type account so ad friend and i'll accept probably 
Great stuff. Okay. Um, thank you again for joining me in this little sort of venture through the year 2000. I'm having a great time having these these look back shows with you. Um, really looking forward to King of the Ring next. Now the Undertaker is here um, and we've got the whole tournament concept to look forward to as well, I guess. That'll be the next one we look at. Um, you can find me at SJP Words on Twitter and you can find the show at SJP Wrestling Pod. Give us a follow there. Um, and again, David, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, great stuff. And to everybody else, as always, thank you for listening. Hang on, Dave. I've not done my cat check, mate, and there's a cat shutting the door. Shutting the <laughs> Wait, one second, hang on. Yeah, no worries. Billy, come on. Billy, go on then. Go, go. He was hiding behind the curtains in the window, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut all that out. <laughs> yeah. Um,